So church, what does it mean to be a child of God? Later this morning, in just a little while, we are going to celebrate the sacrament of baptism with four children in our church. And as I discussed with their parents in preparation for this day, the sacrament of baptism is the sign of God's covenant promise to us. It's the sign of God's promise that he will be our God and we will be his people. And it is also the act in which we commit ourselves to God and God gives himself to us. It's through this act of baptism that we become his children and that he becomes our father as he gives his Holy Spirit to us in baptism. And so today that will happen for four of our children. But it's not just uh, the four of our children that will be affected by the administration of this sacrament today, because during the baptism celebration, all of us who have ever been baptized before uh, will also be. be called to remember and to reaffirm our own baptismal covenants. We will remember and re-declare that these things are true of us also. That we are also God's children through faith because of our baptisms. So, so this is a huge day in the life of our church as we welcome four new members into the family of God. And as we all remember our own places as sons and daughters within that family. But as we come to this sacred and holy moment in a person's life. Of gaining new identity, new family allegiances, becoming a part of a new family. It feels like a fitting time to ask the question, what does it actually mean to be a child of God? What difference does it make in one's life? What difference should it make in your life? If you are a son or a daughter of God. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning as we continue in our sermon series through Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, Today, looking at chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, I invite you to turn there with me to Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. This passage, it picks up in verse 14, right where we left off last week, uh, describing... First, what it means to be a child of God. And what Paul makes very clear right at the beginning of this passage is that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So to be a child of God, to be a son or a daughter of God, means that you are led by His Spirit. This was the same point that Paul was making last week in the beginning of Romans chapter 8 when he was clarifying what it meant to be a Christian. And what Paul said last week was that those who have been given the Spirit of God are a part of Christ. And that anyone who does not have the Spirit of God dwelling in them does not belong to Christ. So the marker of who is a Christian and who is not, or of who belongs to God and who does not, is determined by the presence of Or the lack of presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit in a person's life. And here Paul is saying that the same is true for what it means to be a child of God. These are the same things. So to be a child of God means that you have God's spirit dwelling inside of you. And hence by implication this means that if you don't have God's spirit dwelling inside of you then you aren't his child. 
And the reason that this is a really important point to clarify right here at the beginning is first because it's in the text. But second, because there is a very popular and common belief and refrain in the world today that we are all God's children. The logic being that if God has made everyone, then hence we are all his children. And while that is a nice sentiment, with a, a bit of logic baked into it, and while we all may wish that that were actually true, it is simply not what the scriptures teach us in regards to what it means to be in relationship with God. For while it's true that in Acts chapter 17, when Paul is debating with the Greek philosophers at the Areopagus, he references one of the Greek poets who describes all people as being God's offspring. Still, that is not at all an acknowledgement that all people are in right relationship with God as his children. Yes, God created every human being. Yes, he has placed his image within every man and woman. And yes, as a result of that, every single life on this earth has value and dignity and worth, great worth. And yes, God loves all that he has made. But that does not mean that all people are in relationship with God or are reconciled to God to the point where God is their father. In fact, Jesus makes very clear in John chapter 8 that if we do not love him and if we do not believe his words, then we are not children of God at all, but are children of the devil. The Apostle John says the same thing in 1 John chapter 3, where he says that if we make a practice of sinning, if we are intentionally and deliberately rejecting God and his word in our lives, then we are of the devil. So the Bible's testimony is very clear on this. Not all people are God's children. In fact, what Paul has said earlier in Romans is that, is that in Adam, uh, in our natural state, none of us are. In the flesh and in our sin, we've all rejected God as our father. We've turned our back on God's fatherly advice and direction and care for our lives. And we've sought to live life on our own. It is only when we return to God through faith and repentance and baptism, through believing in him and turning from our evil ways and submitting ourselves to him. It is only then that we are reconciled to God. It's only then that we are given his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. It's only then that we are adopted as his sons and daughters. This is what it means to be a child of God. And this option is available to everyone. Anyone at any time can return to God and be reconciled to him and know the benefit and the blessing of having God as their father. But the process by which that happens is through faith and repentance and baptism. And that's what we're celebrating today. In our baptism today, these children brought in the faith and repentance of their parents will become children of God and begin their life of faith with God as their father. And so if you've, if you've never done that, 
If you've never understood or believed the provision that God has made for your life through Christ, if you've never acknowledged your wrongdoing and repented of your sins before God, if you've never been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in obedience to Jesus' commands, then you need to be aware that according to the Scriptures, you are not being led by the Spirit of God. And as a result, you are not yet a child of God. You are known by God, and you are loved by God. But you are not yet reconciled to Him in relationship, and you are not yet indwelt by His Spirit, and you do not yet have the benefits of being His child. And so the blessing of this great reality does not yet apply to you. But it can, (laughs) and I would love for it to. And so if you have questions about any of that, it would be a great privilege to be able to talk with you about it. What it means to be a child of God, to become a child of God. So I'd love to talk with you after the service or send me a message this week if that is of interest to you. Because the privilege and the benefits of being a child of God is a blessing worth pursuing. And that's what Paul shows us in the rest of these verses. Moving on from his definition of what makes us children of God. Paul goes on in verses 15 through 17 to describe some of the benefits of being a child of God when he writes. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit That we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And so in these verses, Paul begins by telling us uh, that because of the spirit that we have received in our baptism. Because of his spirit within us, which is not a spirit of slavery. But because of that, we have no reason to fall into fear. And then he goes on to explain why we have no reason to fear as children of God. Both now, in the present moments of our lives, or later, at any future point of our lives. So the main point that Paul is making here is that if you are a child of God, you have no need to fear now or later. Why is that the case? Let's look at these reasons together. First, Paul shows us why we have no reason to fear now in the present. And the reason that is the case, as he shows us at the end of verse 15, is because we have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so what Paul is saying is that because of our adoption, as sons and daughters of God... We are now able to address God as Abba, which is the most intimate of terms for Father. Which means that when we pray to God, when we cry out to God and turn our eyes to God for help, we don't cry out to some far off, distant, unattached, unemotional, cosmic being. Instead, we cry out to our daddy. 
We cry out to one who knows us and who loves us like his precious child. And if you think about what that means, that when we offer our prayers to God, we get to call him our father. If you think about what that means in regard to the access that we have with God and to the influence that we have with God. And it becomes abundantly clear that no matter what we face in this life, we have absolutely no reason to fear. I mean, think about the access that a child has to their father. No one has access to a person like their child does. Think for a moment about the president of the United States, who's often described as the most powerful person in the world. And rightly so, right? From the Oval Office, the president makes decisions that direct the course of human history. From behind the resolute desk, a president signs bills into laws that affect the lives of hundreds of millions of people. In that office, the president is the commander of the greatest military might that the world has ever known. And as a result, this is a place where powerful politicians and dignitaries and heads of states from around the world clamor to try and gain access, right? They call in favors and they pull strings and they use their influence to try to get into these halls of power and to try to get the ear of the president, even for a moment. These are hallowed grounds that only the most powerful and influential people ever gain even brief access to. If you and I tried to get into that space, we wouldn't come close unless there's something about you that I don't know. (laughs) But while John F. Kennedy was president, it was not uncommon to see pictures of his little children running and dancing around inside of the Oval Office. There's one famous picture of JFK's son, John Jr., sitting at his daddy's feet, playing under the resolute desk. While his father, the most powerful man in the world, was making phone calls. My point is simply this. That a child is given access to their father that no one else gets. If I went and hid under the president's desk, (laughs) I would be arrested very quickly. But when the president's son does it, it is a welcome and a cherished, and a celebrated moment. No one has access to a father like his child. This is why Paul says to the church in Ephesus that through faith we can enter God's presence with freedom and confidence. Or why the writer to the Hebrews says that we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence to find the help that we need. Because we are his children. Without that status, we'd have no access or ability, much less the confidence to enter into the presence of almighty God. But because he is our father, we not only have access, but boldness and confidence to run into his presence at any time and at any place in order to ask him for whatever we need. And that is welcomed and encouraged and even celebrated by him. So the first incredible benefit of being able to call God our Abba Father is the intimate access that it gives us to God in prayer. 
Now, access is only ultimately good if it's also joined with the ability to influence. And fortunately, as children, we have that also. I mean, just think about the influence that a child has on their father. Tim Keller has a famous quote that the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his child. And it's true. I am no king. (laughs) But even in my meager status in life, I don't like to be bothered in the middle of the night. (laughs) I silence my phone so that I'm not woken up by emails or calls or texts at night. Living downtown, we sometimes have people knock on our door at strange hours of the night, and I don't get out of bed for that. Even if my wife needed something in the middle of the night, unless she had a debilitating injury or a severe sickness, right? I would probably make very clear to her through my moaning and groaning that she should get up and get whatever she wants for herself. Don't bother me at night when I'm sleeping. But... If my little boy or one of my little girls called out to their dad in the middle of the night and needed something that they weren't able to get for themselves, I'm up on my feet. I'm out of my bed. And I am joyfully doing whatever I am able to do in order to help my beloved child who is in need. And what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount is that if we, even we earthly parents who are evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Father in Heaven give good things to those who ask of Him? This is the influence that a child has on their father. So we have access to God because He is our Father. And we have influence with God because He is our Father. And if you take a step back and consider what this means in light of who God is, this means that no matter what you are facing in life, no matter how big of a problem, no matter how big of a mystery, no matter how much of a mess you may be dealing with, at any time and at any place, you have the access and the influence to call out To Daddy, Abba, Father God, to the God of the universe, who is all-powerful and all-knowing and ever-present and perfectly good in every way, who loves you as His own beloved child, and who has promised to give good gifts to His children when they ask of Him. And so as a result, no matter what we may face in this life, as God's sons and daughters, we have no reason to fear. The creator of the universe loves you as his child. And that means that nothing can happen to you that he doesn't allow. And that he won't eventually use for your ultimate good. And as a result, there is nothing for us to fear. Here and now in this life. There's... Also, nothing for us to fear later in life either. And this is the point that Paul makes in verses 16 and 17 when he says that the the Holy Spirit bears witness that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. To be an heir means that there is an inheritance. 
To be an heir means that all that the Father has will one day be given to us. And just in case you need reminding, the Father has a lot. In fact, He owns it all. As Creator, literally everything belongs to Him. It's affirmed over and over again in the Scriptures. Psalm 24 declares that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In Job 41, God reminds Job that whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. To the prophet Haggai, the Lord said that the treasures of all of the nations are his. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Every mountain, every hill, every plain, every valley, every wave of the ocean, every rapid of every river, every creature that swims or crawls or walks or flies, it all belongs to him. In fact, you've never seen anything in your entire life that God did not create and does not own. It is all His. And do you know what His promise to His children is? That one day it will be ours. We heard it in our gospel reading this morning in Luke chapter 12 from Jesus' own lips. When after reminding His disciples that they had no reason to worry about their lives because of God's profound, profound provision for His creation. Of which we are the pinnacle. He then told them, fear not little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. As His adopted children, we are heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Christ. It means that we have no reason to worry about the future. It is secure. And even here in this present, we can live free from anxiety about provision for our lives. We can give generously and joyfully. And freely in this life. Because we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for us to be revealed in the next life. In this, Paul says, we rejoice. Church, these are just a few of the benefits of being adopted as God's sons and daughters. The presence of God's Spirit in our lives means that we have no reason to fear now or later in this life or the life to come. Because as God's beloved children, we have intimate and unfettered access to God as our Father. And we have an inheritance in Christ that will never spoil or fade. This is what it means to be God's children. Our present moments are lovingly watched over and our future is lavishly secured. And it is God's heart for you that you would know this. He's given you His Spirit so that you would know Him as your Abba, Father, Daddy. So that you might rest and be at peace in His protection of you now and His provision for you later. So church, rejoice today in what God our Father has done for you. And let us rejoice in what God is about to do in the lives of these four children who are being brought forward today to receive the sacrament of baptism and to begin their lives as sons and daughters in God's covenant family. Amen.